Well, um, you have a special day today, uh, not just because it's Mother's Day, though that is special enough, but given that it's Mother's Day, and it happens to be that we're on Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, which is all about love. How appropriate is that? We're going to talk about love. Uh, we've been talking about love uh, for the last couple of days, uh, last couple of weeks. And so uh, we are going to look at the big picture of love. So Dan, if you could put my, uh, the title up here. This, is, this uh, is, message is going to be titled, uh, Love, It's All About the Cross. And that is my, this is what makes this sermon special, is that's my artwork, yes. In fact, this whole message, you're in for such a treat, uh, you'll see a lot of my artwork displayed. This was not my doing. I, what happened was, I had just a lot of pictures and diagrams in this message, and rather than try to explain them, I just drew them out and, and sent them to my creative team, and my creative team, being as creative as they were, they just took it. I don't know quite how they did this, but they just made the whole PowerPoint series out of that. So every one of these uh, uh, slides are going to be my drawing. Uh, Mr. Van Gogh here, that's, uh, that's who I am. So uh, this is all, it, it, love, it's all about the cross, as we're going to see, and it's the love that binds all together. So here's what it says in Colossians 3, and even these passages I just wrote out by hand. I normally don't do that, but... I, I, I did, and they incorporated those in here too. So here's what it says in, in Colossians 3. Above all, everyone say above all. Above. above all, clothe yourselves with love. Above all, that means that nothing is to be placed above this instruction. Nothing is to be placed alongside of this instruction. This is above all. Above all, clothe yourself with love. And as we'll see as we hover on this verse for a few more messages, I'm thinking, um, that if uh, we have, if we don't have this down, clothing ourselves with love, then everything else we might have down is completely worthless. I mean, you can have all the best doctrine in the world and all the right political opinions in the world. I'm sure you do. And uh, all the right Bible interpretations in the world. And that's wonderful. But if this isn't gotten down, uh, then all of that's worthless. Completely worthless. Clothe yourself with love above all. And the reason is because this binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the, the glue that holds it all together. Uh, two other passages I want us to look at. Uh, the first one we looked at a little bit last week, and that's 1 John 3.16, where John defines love, and that's a good thing because uh, otherwise folks would define love for themselves, and we got a lot of screwed up definitions of love in this culture, don't we? Love can pretty much mean anything you want it to mean. But fortunately, uh, the Bible gives us a definition of love by pointing us to a person. Not just a person, but a person and an event. It's the cross. And so he says, here's how we know what love is. Here's how I know what love is. That Christ laid down his life for us, so also we should lay down our life for one another. God, Almighty God, set aside his prerogatives, his blessings, and became a human being. And then died a God-forsaken death on the cross for a race of rebels that could deserve it less. Couldn't deserve it less. Uh, that's, that's the ultimate expression of love. And so we love to the degree that we replicate that, pouring ourselves out for another, coming under another, ascribing unsurpassable worth to another, even when, by all human standards, they don't deserve it. That's, that's love. And so when Paul says, clothe yourself with love, this is what he's talking about. Like whenever the New Testament talks about love, this is what it's talking about, the cross. The cross is the ultimate criteria of love. So to clothe yourself with love is to clothe yourself with the cross, the cross attitude. And it's the cross that binds it all together. Not just human beings, it binds everything together. 
And so Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, a passage we looked at about two years ago. Uh, For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God. Every ounce of God, everything that makes God God was in Jesus. Remember that verse the next time some beloved Jehovah Witnesses come to your door and want to share. Uh, They they think Jesus is a high archangel. God bless them. Uh, But this is the kind of verse you need to keep in mind as uh, you share with them. All the fullness of God. Everything that makes God God was in him. And God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, whether uh, on earth or in heaven. And the way he did that was by making peace through the blood of the cross. The cross... The love of God expressed on the cross, that's the quintessential expression of of love. That love, in the end, is going to bind everything together. Everything in heaven and on earth. Everything that is contrary to that love will be burned away by that love, and everything that is redeemable by that love will be redeemed. This is the love that binds all things together. This is the love that's revealed on the cross. This is the love that we are called to, above all else, clothe ourselves with. Day in and day out. Pray with me here for a moment. Abba Father, I thank you, God, for everybody in this auditorium and listening through podcast and any other means. And uh, Father, I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, that spirit of love, open our minds and hearts to receive your word to help us to see what we need to see, to be motivated to clothe ourselves with love and to make that the highest aspiration of our life, the ultimate purpose for every day, the reason why we get out of bed in the morning. Uh, God, the ultimate agenda amidst all the other agendas that we have, to be wearing cross-like love to all people at all times, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. By the way, uh, to those pod listeners who maybe are listening, uh, who are out jogging and uh, maybe uh, doing the garden or whatever, uh, this message is one that you might want to pause and wait till you can view it. Uh, visually, because as I said, it's full of this wonderful artwork, and you don't want to miss my wonderful artwork. But it's also going to be one that's a little bit hard to understand without that artwork. Yeah, that's why I, I used it so much. And um, so uh, just be heads up, you'll be missing some things if you're just listening uh, and are not watching these diagrams. Last week, we saw that the love of God binds everything together in our brain. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to, to get that message where we uh, gave neurological evidence from neuroscience, that having a loving picture of God leads to a healthy brain and inclines us towards a a loving lifestyle, whereas having an ugly picture of God, an authoritarian or oppressive fear-based model of God, actually damages the brain, and we can prove that neurologically now, damages the brain and inclines us towards self-centeredness. So the most important fact of everything you believe, most important fact between your ears is what is your picture of God? And to the degree that it's rooted in Christ-like love, you're going to be, your brain's going to be, all other things being equal, healthy. To the degree that it's rooted in something else, it's going to be being damaged. So love binds everything together neurologically. And what I want to do today, I got half hour to do it, and so Lord, give me the gift of succinctness, which is my greatest challenge, But because we're going to zoom out and look at the big picture here and see how love binds everything together. Uh, here's the thing is that most people hold their beliefs kind of like a smorgasbord. Their theology is a smorgasbord of, of beliefs that they just sort of adopted along the way. They picked up from a song or a sermon or, or, or just their own Bible reading, however it got there. 
And so we have beliefs about the Bible and Jesus and God and the end times and creation and what have you, but we don't connect the dots. Uh, Often folks can't see the forest through the trees. We don't get the big picture. This is why I think theology is important. Theology is there to help us get get congruity and see how everything fits together. And so we're going to zoom out and do some thinking here, some theology here, so that we can see. I want here's the thing. I want us to see how love binds everything together. Um, and the reason why seeing that is important is that if your theology is like a smorgasbord of otherwise unrelated beliefs then the teaching that we should above all put on love, above all live in love, clothe yourself with love, that is just a teaching, it's just a rule, it's just it's out there. But you don't see how it relates to everything else. So you don't see why it's above all. It's just sort of there. Whereas if we can see why that is above all and how it binds everything together, it brings congruity between our heart and our mind, which helps motivate us to live this out. We'll see the urgency of clothing ourselves with love. So we're going to zoom out here and look at the big picture, see the forest through the trees. Uh, Kevin teaches in his class, Discovering the Kingdom, that there are four loves that pertain to the kingdom. He actually got this from John Wesley. Four loves. The love of God, the love of self, the love of others, and the love of creation. What I want us to go away here in the next 29 minutes now, understanding, is that all four of those loves are inside the cross. To clothe ourselves with love, we need to clothe our picture of God in the cross, our picture of ourself in the cross, our picture of others in the cross, and even our picture of the creation in the cross. Because love is all about the cross. That's the very definition of the cross. So to start, let's start at the beginning. Let's go back to the creator. Here's God. Here's my lovely picture of God. This is my artwork of God. And you'll see that the cross and the heart is inside of this triangle representing the Trinity. And that is to express the truth that the love that was revealed on the cross is the love that God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.8 tells us that God is love, and 1 John 3.16 defines love by pointing us to the cross. Do the math, and you understand that God is cross-like love, the love that was revealed on Calvary. That's God's very nature. As I sometimes say around here, love isn't just a verb that God does. Love is the essence of who God is. See, this is why the doctrine of the Trinity is so important. Some people think it's just sort of a weird, you know, Christian paradox, mathematical problem that we have strapped with, that we're strapped with. But in fact, it's, it, it really is a foundational Christian teaching for a lot of reasons, one of which is that in other monotheistic faiths, Islam and Judaism, God, before the creation of the world, is all by himself. He's just a solitary monad. He exists in, in the abyss of nothingness. And so there's no, there's no us-ness. There's no we. There's no community. And therefore, love can't be possible. A God who was all by himself before the creation of the world could be potentially loving, but couldn't be actually loving. Because actual love requires uh, an I and a you. It requires an us-ness. The doctrine of the Trinity articulates this, and it's the only monotheistic faith that does that there is in god something like community something that there, there's 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 three persons in one who are perfectly united in 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 love and so god even apart from creation even before creation god in and of himself is cross-like love of course 
there's nothing like dying for sinners within the Godhead. But within the Godhead, within the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there is this total other-oriented love, this pouring out for another, this giving yourself away, this coming under others. That's the essence of who God is. And because it's the essence of who God is, think about this, if the essence of who God is is defined on Calvary, where Jesus Christ, rather than squashing his enemies, gave his life for his enemies at the hands of his enemies in order to save his enemies, if that's the essence of who God is, then that means that it would be against God's eternal nature to ever act contrary to that. The cross reveals an enemy-loving, non-violent, self-sacrificial love. That's the essence of who God is. And if it's the essence of who God is, which is exactly what you get when you put 1 John 4.8 and 1 John 3.16 together, if it's the essence of who God is, then God can't, it would be a contradiction to himself to ever act contrary to that. Now, the minute I say that, I understand that uh, two-thirds of the people in this auditorium and listening through podcasts and other means are immediately thinking, well, what about the warrior Jehovah who slaughters armies in the Red Sea and blah, blah, blah. See, here's the thing. Now that we know in the Son, what the essence of God is. And, the, and that's the only place where we get the essence of God. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son alone is the, the hypostasis. reveals the hypostasis. That's the Greek word for substance or essence. The Son alone reveals the essence of God. Now that we know the, the true essence of God, we can look back and we, see, we know stuff that they didn't know in the Old Testament. And so when they, when they ascribe violence to God, if we read it carefully, you'll find that the violence they ascribe to God which was totally ordinary in their cultural worldview, it's really only violence that God allows. As we read it through the, the Old Testament through the lens of the cross, as we must, we can see that, that uh, the way they interpret events, events was in a B.C. kind of a way, a pre-Christian kind of a way. And now that we know that what God's really like, we can go back and we can see things that they didn't necessarily see. Although, and this is what I'm working on in this book, uh, The Crucifixion of the Warrior God, that hopefully will be out in about a year and a half. Pray for me. But uh, um, uh, succinctness is not my gift. 700 pages long now. But, but I, I'm arguing there that if you read the Old Testament through the lens of the cross, you can more often than not see in the authors themselves that the violence they ascribe to God, God didn't really do. He simply allowed for punitive purposes. Though, because of their limited, their, their pre-Christian view of God, they, they went ahead and attributed it to God. However you resolve that, lock this in. God is love, and love looks like Calvary. This is the essence of God. Because, see, your, the beauty of your life will never outrun the beauty of your picture of God. Uh, the one that you gaze at, the one that you gaze upon, 2 Corinthians 3, the one that you gaze upon is the one that you're transformed in the image of. And so everything hangs, as I said last week. Even you can show this neurologically, everything hangs upon our picture of God. God is cross-like love. Cross-like love is the, the thing that binds God together. God is bound together by cross-like love. And what we're going to see is that everything God creates is bound together by that exact same love. Okay, so we are made as an expression of this love, and we're made to, as a, with an invitation to participate in this love. That's the purpose for creation. And so we're made in the image of God. And that means a lot of things. There's a lot of ways of fleshing that out. But one of the ways you can see that we're made in the image of God is that there's a certain threefoldness that characterizes us on a number of different levels. In fact, I'm of the conviction that all of creation in different ways reflects a threefoldness. 
Um, I've been obsessed with the number three for two decades. And I've been collecting three for, threes for two decades. It's amazing. I got volumes and volumes of threes. It's just amazing. This is my weird uh, obsession. And, and I, I, I believe the core of my being that ultimately threes can explain everything. And you can see that kind of in a Fibonacci sequence, which is characterized by three, and the golden ratio, which is characterized by three, and a lot of other different things that I'm not going to bore you with right now. That's for a different sermon later on. Right now, I just want us to see that we also, in a, in a, in a kind of in a paradigm way, reflect a threefoldness. One of the ways that we're threefold is that we're body, soul, and spirit. A lot of people think that we're just body and soul, but you know that's wrong because that's only two, and ultimately the world's characterized by three. So keep searching. If you have two ultimate principles, you're missing something. Or if you have four, you're missing something. That's why I think that the four ultimate laws that they're dealing with right now are actually, they do more work, it'll boil down to three. But quick, get me off track. I'm trying to concentrate. So here's the triune self. You see this in 1 Thessalonians 5. You see it in Hebrews 4 that we're body, soul, and spirit. Our body is our physical self. Our soul, the Greek word there is suke. We get the word psyche from it or psychology from it. That's our mind or our consciousness, our personality, the way we experience ourselves. But we're more fundamental than our mind and our thoughts and our experience self. We also have this thing called spirit, or the Bible sometimes calls our heart. This is the, the core of who we are. Right? So there's this threefoldness here. And as I showed last week, when, when our mind is anchored in a beautiful picture of God, the God that's revealed in Jesus Christ dying on the cross, it has ramifications for our whole being. There's a, a congruity that's created between our, our, our mind, body, and soul. And when we have an ugly picture of God, it damages our mind and our body. Right? So already we're seeing that the love of God binds our threefoldness together. It's all anchored in a beautiful picture of God. Here's another way that we're threefold. If you zero in on the soul, there's a threefoldness there. Next picture, Dan. Uh, the, the soul is composed of, a, a, of an I and a U. Here we go. Beautiful artwork. This is the triune soul. There is a self and a self-image and a relationship to this image that characterizes our, our, our soul, our thinking, our personality. Now, to prove this, I'll ask you this question. What are you going to do for lunch? On this Mother's Day. Think about that for a moment. What are you going to do for at least a few people here are going, what? I forgot it was Mother's Day. <laughs> okay, now, you'll notice there, if you pay close attention to the way that you did that, how did you do that? And the way that you did that, I guarantee you, is that you heard a voice. There's a voice talking in your head. There's a voice in your head. Someone's talking and someone's listening. All thought is like that. You're thinking there's a talker and there's a listener. Have you ever noticed that? And there's, this, there's an I, which is the center of the soul, the center of the mind. And the, but there's this image, a self-image. And then there's a relationship to this image. And sometimes we like that self-image and sometimes we don't. In fact, that self-image changes sometimes from context to context. How you see yourself... And the degree to which you love yourself or hate yourself or whatever, it changes from context. It shouldn't change. It shouldn't, as we'll see here in a moment, but it does. Um, and and, and uh, uh, we have a relationship to this self-image. So I'm sure some of you actually have experiences like this. Uh, about 20-some years ago, my, grand, my, my grandpa died, and uh, my wife and I went out to his funeral in Detroit. And uh, it was the first time that Shelley had a chance to view me over a long period of time, three days, around my brother and my dad. She'd never seen that before. And after the three days as we were flying home, she basically said, what happened to my husband? 
Um, and I was like, what, 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 what? Because I didn't notice it. She goes, you were a mouse. You were just like this, so mousy. You didn't stand up for yourself. You, did, you, you, you were quiet. You never pushed back on things. You let them walk all over you. What, where, where'd you go? And I hated to admit it, but the truth was that when I was around them, it just activated old neural nets that I apparently hadn't yet integrated into my Christ ident- identity. And I was this little Greggy, little Greggy, who was Chris's little brother, always in the shadow of little brother, and always trying to compete for dad's attention and, and never push back. And, and, and that's who I was. And she noticed, and I, I did notice this a little bit, that I stuttered. I went back to my old stuttering habits. Like when I was five, I was stuttering a lot more than usual. And I was just back to this little Greggy self. Now, what happened is I was in these, this new context that activated these old neural nets that put up this old self-image of me as little Greggy trying to compete for dad's attention. You've noticed that when you're around some people, you're confident. Around other people, you're not confident. You know, and, and, and it, it, different, different contexts bring out different aspects of ourselves. Well, see, that's because we are, we are composed. We're one person, hopefully. If you're at all healthy, you're one identity, and yet there's a plurality within your identity. This is why it shouldn't be that hard to believe in the Trinity, because we model something like it every time we think. And, and there's this relationship between ourself and our self-image. Right? There's this threefoldness that is there. Now, here's how God designed this. This is how, it, how it's supposed to operate. God, as our creator, wants to be the one who defines us to the core of our being. He, he is the one who wants to tell us who we are. And in God's design, he should be the only one to tell us who we are to the core of our being. Other people should remind us of the truth of who we are, but only God should have the authority to tell us who we are. So God communicates to our I. And this I, the center of our, our psyche, is really the place where our innermost being, our spirit, intersects with our mind. Because we're holistic beings. These aren't three separate parts. They're all interrelated. Our innermost being, our spirit, intersects with our mind at the point of this I, the center of the self. And as God communicates to you who you are, you're supposed to tell yourself who you are. That's why the Bible tells us that we're to have authority over our mind. You're more than your think. You're more than your thought. Now, most people don't know that. They think that they are just their thought. This is just who I am. But as a matter of fact, you're a spirit being, and you are in charge of this organic computer between your ears. And that's where your image of God comes from. Okay, That's where your self-image is. And so you're to, you are to define your own self-image under the authority of God. God tells you who's who you are, here's who you are. And you're to say to your brain, hey, brain, here's who I am. God says so. Right? That's our responsibility. To, so everything's our truth. Think on those things, it says in Philippians 4.8. So we tell ourselves the truth. And when we do that, then we love that self. We love that self because we're, as we see ourselves as God sees us, we would love ourselves as God loves us. Because the self that we are created and saved by God in Jesus Christ is lovable. As we see ourselves the way God sees us, we would love ourselves the way God loves us. The reality is we're supposed to love ourselves. I know a lot of us have this theology, heard it somewhere or other, where uh, people think they glorify God by pounding themselves into the ground. Like you're glorifying God by just confessing that there's nothing good about you, not one thing. You are altogether vile. You are, you are damnable. You are terrible. You are snail's breath. You're a maggot juice. You are, you're a scum. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're nothing, nothing, nothing but a reprobate, vile, excrement sinner. Praise God. Uh, and, and you glorify God by pounding yourself into the ground. 
And, and oh, you're supposed to despise yourself. People think it's pious to despise themselves. Now, here's the thing. It is true that apart from God, we would be nothing. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Yes, apart from God. But what's also true is that you're never apart from God. You're created by God. You're sustained by God. You're held together by God. God's love envelops you. God's love defines you. And as it's revealed on the cross and through the resurrection, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And so as the the, the you that God loves is the you that you're supposed to love. It's the you that's defined by the love of God. That's why I put that image inside the cross there. As you see yourself loved by God, you're supposed to love yourself. As you see yourself enveloped uh, by God's God's holiness and His forgiveness, and again cleansed, and you're a child of God, and you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, and 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 He's lavished on you all of His love and the riches of His inheritance. As you see that, how could you not love that? You're a one of a kind reflection of the glory of God. There's none like you. You're a one of a kind diamond that puts on display the beauty of God's creativity and His love. How could you not love that? You're supposed to love that. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. That presupposes that you're loving yourself. In fact, if you're not loving yourself, you're going to have a hard time loving your neighbor. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. So now look at this. As we see ourselves the way God sees us, we love ourselves the way God loves us, and now... The love that binds together the triune God binds together ourselves. The love that binds together the triune God, ignore that slide for a second. The love that binds together the triune God binds together ourselves. Um, as God is, as God is a love that pours itself out towards another. Okay, that, so that, that pouring out love of Calvary binds God together. So also God, as he pours himself out to us, binds us together with God. And now, as we see ourselves poured out to God, and God poured into us, it binds our own soul together. Love is, is, is the glue that binds our own soul together. We're to love ourselves. And so now the love of the Trinity is replicated in our self-love. The way God loves himself is now the way we love ourselves in God. And in fact, those are now interrelated. One aspect of loving God is loving ourselves as being loved by God. Love binds all things together. And when that happens, and now we go to the next slide, now we overflow with love towards one another. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. As we're lo- we love God, love our neighbor, love ourselves. And so as I receive this overwhelming love, God overflows with love towards me. I overflow with love towards myself. I overflow with love back towards God. And I overflow with love towards my neighbor. And as all human beings do this, now all of humanity begins to replicate the love of the triune God. And that love overflows towards the uh, animal kingdom and the environment, which was our first mandate, to care for them. We care for them as an expression of our love for one another, which is also an expression of our love for ourselves, which is also an expression of our love for God. And all of it is mirroring the love of the triune God. And so as, uh, as all humanity does this, look at all creation displays God's glory. God pours into each one of us individually. We pour out uh, back to God. We love ourselves. We love one another. We take care of the animal kingdom. And now the whole thing kind of forms a triangle because all the creation and everything in creation in its own particular way mirrors the love of the triune God. All the creation puts on display God's glory, which is simply the radiance of God's perfect love. All the creation is there to be the, the mirror to say, to, to put, to proclaim the beauty of God. We participate 
in the perfect love that God is throughout eternity. That is what creation was supposed to look like. That's what creation someday will look like. That is the kingdom of God to the degree that we're living under the reign of God. It looks like this, but it's obviously not the way the creation is right now. Not by a long shot. Things now are all screwed up. So here's, here, here, here's what, 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 how things look now. We're, we, we have a fragmented self. Our uh, uh, ancestral parents rebelled against God. And that put a wall between us and God. And that wall, which is held there in place by our sin and by Satan and the principalities and powers that we invited into this domain, it blocks the love and truth flowing out of God into us from getting into our inner spirit. And so now, instead of being defined by God to us and from the inside out, now what happens is we walk around with this vacuum in our soul, and so we tend to get defined by the world. The world actually becomes our Lord. This is the pattern of the world that now defines our self-image. And to a large degree, it's deception. To a large degree, it's a lie. Instead of seeing ourselves the way God sees us, as defined by God's love on the cross, now we see ourselves the way dad saw us or the way mom saw us or grandpa or the abuser or the rapist or the accident or the media or the music, the culture or whatever it was that defines you. We, we, we are defined by our environment. That's why our image changes all the time. You know, it's different environments, different neuronets get activated. And so we sometimes love ourselves, sometimes hate ourselves because we're not grounded. We're not grounded in the image that God gives us. We have, we inherit the self. Lies about God, lies about ourselves, lies about others, lies about creation. All these lies. And then that image now tells us who we are. Rather than us telling our brain who we are and defining our image under God's authority, now this image tells us who we are. And we're conflicted. We're fragmented. When the love that binds God together isn't present in our brain, our brain becomes fragmented. When the love that binds God together isn't present in society, society is fragmented. Either that love binds us together uh, or it's not there and we're fragmented apart. And so this is the, this is the fragmented self. We don't know who we are. We live our life. God created us to, to be these, these, these queens and kings who carry out his reign on earth as it is in heaven, but instead we live our lives as a pathetic footnote to whoever or whatever defined us. It's so sad. We just, people live their whole life just as an extension of what people said to them and did to them. Because they think it's who they are. This is who I am. No. No, 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 you're much, much more than that. And see, then when the self is fragmented... You can't give what you ain't got. And since we're not receiving that love and truth, we can't overflow with that love and truth. And so now what we have is a fragmented and and fallen society. When we don't, I tweeted this this last week, when we don't love our neighbor as ourselves, we inevitably use our neighbor for ourselves. And so it is with God and with the animals and our environment. Instead of being people who overflow, having gotten all of our life, our source from God, overflowing towards others in the earth and the animal kingdom. Now, instead of that, we become a, a walking vacuum. We become consumers. We're always trying to meet, the, uh, fill the emptiness in our soul that's there because we're not getting all of our life and source and truth from God. And so now, instead of overflowing with love towards others, we exploit them. We use them. And we can't help ourselves. We don't even notice it. 
I submit to you that most of what people today call love is simply an arrangement, an agreement that I'll meet some needs of yours and you meet some needs of mine. It's a quid pro quo deal. It's not a unilateral overflow kind of a thing. That's why we always say, I love you because. I love you because the way you look. I love you because the way you have sex with me. I love you because you left my jokes. I love you because. And see, then what happens is as soon as that because leaves, the love leaves. Because the love was based on the because. It's why people today just have no conception. Loving enemies sounds so ludicrous. Because there's no because. An enemy is an enemy. There's nothing there to love. Why, why, why would I love that person? They might kill me. See, it only makes sense if you frame it in the context of the kingdom, where your very life is gotten from God, and you hang on to nothing very tightly because all your inner needs are met by God, his love and truth being poured into you. So we have a fragmented society. All violence is the result of this. All violence, all, all hatred, all envy, all animosity, everything that's negative, everything that's wrong with society and the world ultimately is a result of this. The fragmentation that happens when we are not being defined in ourselves, the, the love of God isn't binding our, our soul together. The love of God isn't binding ourselves together. So the love of God isn't binding us with our neighbor. We're not loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're not binding with our neighbor because we're not bound with ourselves. And then that ultimately breaks the world. Either the binding love of God is present or the fragmentation of the devil is present. Uh, one of the two. And it can go in various degrees, but, but that's, the, that's the equation. Now, folks, when we surrender to the king, which is, takes place at the core of our being, even deeper than thought, when, when you're either in the core of your being a God-centered person or you're a self-centered person, and if you're a God-centered person, that means now you're open to that other-oriented love of God being poured into you. That's what it means to be other-oriented. You're God-oriented. If you're self-centered, well, then, then you're saying no to that other-oriented love. That sounds like death to you, because it does require you in the death of the old self. You die that you might live. When we submit to God, now, now there is an opening for that other-oriented love that binds all things together to begin to flow into us, and flow through us. And the whole business of the Christian life, of the Christian walk, is to be continually yielding to that love that binds all things together, to heal us and bind together that which was broken, and then through us to overflow towards others to bind that which was broken. We become conduits of God's binding love, flowing into us and through us. But we can't just go out and do that. Like on your market said, go do that. You ought to do that. Shame on you if you're not doing it. I can't motivate you through fear or shame or anything. You can't just try hard to do this. This isn't the kind of thing that you try hard to do. You can't do it on your own. It only happens as we're submitted to God and are continually divesting ourselves of our own ambitions and surrendering ourselves to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then, as we've been seeing the last month, we're saved by faith, right? Faith. Faith, it's not works that we do on our own that, 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 that gets us closer to God. No, he's already brought us close. Faith simply activates that. And faith is about the imagination. Faith is about a new kind of seeing, a new kind of vision. Um, it's seeing those things, Hebrews 11, 1, seeing those things as substantial realities that we do not see with our physical eyes. It's trusting that what God says is true. And then in our imaginations, we envision it. We envision it concretely. Uh, we, we invest time on imagining 
the world as God defines it and imagining ourselves as God defines us and imagining God as, as he defines himself on the cross. And that is what transforms us to begin to live in it. I saw a, uh, um, I was the other night, I went to this play, uh, Screw Tape. Has anyone seen that? Screw Tape? Oh, isn't it marvelous? I, I, it just blew me away. It was incredible. Uh, it's based on C.S. Lewis's book, Screw Tape Letters. And at the end of it, they handed out this, this pamphlet. Uh, they had to do with their, their ministry. And on the, on, on the, uh, from the, the pamphlet, it had this quote. I love this quote. It says, uh, what if unbelief was simply a failure of imagination? And I think that's exactly right. Which means belief is a success of imagination. As I said last week, the main difference between believers and non-believers is not so much what we do in our life. More fundamental than that, it's about what we see in our mind. It's about what we imagine. That's why Paul said that we're transformed, 2 Corinthians 3, as we we with unveiled minds behold in our mind, we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's as we behold the beauty that we're transformed into the beauty. And, and that's why the church has always said that the, the imagination is the inner sanctum where we meet God, where spiritual truths become concrete reality. The, the imagination is the inner sanctum where our spirit, the core of our being, meets our mind. It all comes together in our imagination. And so I end this message by saying this. If we're going to clothe ourselves with cross-like love above all else, because that's the love that binds all things together, then we must be, if we're serious, we must be a people who are committed to spending time imagining that. Which is simply to say, we must be a people who have faith in that. Faith is what activates this reality. And so I implore us, if we're going to be a people who clothe ourselves with Christ-like love, so that we look Christ-like in all of our interactions, and all of our dealings, We have to invest. Please take this seriously. Holy Spirit, bug us on this. Put a conviction in our our souls about this. Where we, first of all, imagine. Spend time imagining the God who looks like Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Gaze upon his beauty. Uh, However you do memory and however you do anticipation in your brain, I don't know how we all do it differently, but that's the way you do Jesus in your head. And spend time. Maybe put on music and just enjoy God enjoying you. Bask in that love, because that's the love that binds all things together. That's the love that will heal you, that will give you a centeredness, and it'll begin to get, cause you to have this love that overflows. And we need to spend time, secondly, in imagining ourselves as we are in Christ. As I've, I've said uh, over the last couple of weeks, take the scenario where you are least Christ-like and imagine yourself being perfectly Christ-like, because that's the truth of who you really are. And run that scenario over and over again. Just imagine that. And then when the opportunity arises, you step into it. But you'll never step into it if you're not first imagining it. Imagine God clothed with the cross. Imagine yourself clothed with the cross. And love that self that's clothed with the cross. Love it. You're supposed to love it. Enjoy that self that's clothed with the cross. You're supposed to love that self. Why not? It's a beautiful self. It's dropped in gorgeous. It's a -a one-of-a-kind jewel reflecting the love of God in a perfectly unique way. And then thirdly, imagine your neighbor, who might even be your enemy. 
as they are in the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, God gave a bear hug around all people. Our job is to agree with God about that. I don't care what they look like, what they smell like. I don't care what their habits are. I don't care what the lifestyle is. I don't care what their sexual orientation is. I don't care if they're greedy. I don't care if they're, if they're, if they're this religion or that religion. I don't care if their politi- politics bug you nuts. It does not matter one bit. Don't even notice it. It's not worth noticing. What you need to notice is that Jesus died for them. And see them like that. See them like that. They're precious. They're infinitely precious. I don't care what a grouchy neighbor they are. And nine neighbors can be grouchy, can't they? Uh, but see, just go past that and imagine them as they are in Christ and, and, and be praying for them and bless them and watch how that doesn't begin to change your attitude. You begin to overflow towards them. You have this unilateral love. And then we envision the creation, the new creation uh, that is brought about through Christ Jesus. And that just means that we understand that we're reinstated as God's viceroy. So we take responsibility uh, for the earth and the animal kingdom. And that affects all the decisions we make. And, and so even there, imagine the truth, the new creation. Paul says, behold, all things are new. He's talking to believers who can behold it. We can behold it. We must behold it if we're ever going to live it. Above all, above all, nothing is more important than this. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray that God seals this prayer on our hearts. As I do it, I'd like to ask the prayer team to come forward here. And please, if you're here, whatever need that you have, whatever it is, whatever it is, come and share with these folks, and they would just love to pray with you. Um, and uh, I, I, I once again say happy Mother's Day. God bless you mothers, and go out and love on your mothers as well as everybody else. Would you stand as I close with this? Abba, Father, we thank you, God, for making us your people. For any who are here or listening to this who are not yet surrendered to you, may God, right now, Holy Spirit, draw them into the kingdom. Draw them into the kingdom. Help them surrender right now. And as we go out of here, God, we pray that you would be activating and inspiring, motivating our, our inner vision to help us to see the truth in order to live the truth, to see all that is bound together by your love, and to, and, and to live as the conduits of that binding love that heals all fragmentation in our own mind, in our own soul, in our own families, in our society, and ultimately the world, Lord God. Commit ourselves to being your people, your conduits. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's kingdom people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and love on the world.